0: As we bear one another's burdens, as we share one another's joys, and as we remember uh, what brings us all together in the first place, and that is uh, the love that we have been uh, exposed to and been showered upon and been lathered with uh, by God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Happy Mother's Day. You know, you don't have to look far in the Bible before you come along uh, some Scripture that begins to speak about this relationship with with family, a relationship especially between a mother and child, a relationship between a father and child, between parent and child. And so just turn a few pages and you see that. In fact, when we get to the Ten Commandments, we see that also. Four of them... When you look at those four of them, had to do with our relationship uh, with the Father. And so you might think of them as being vertical in, in how they uh, express themselves. And then you've got uh, some, some others there that have horizontal, you know, about five, the last five, that involve a horizontal relationship. And so that's us dealing with other people. And then kind of square in the middle there, the fifth commandment there almost seems to be out of place, but uh, maybe it's even a, a hinge point because all of, all of the other commandments perhaps uh, kind of point to this one, the foundation of obedience, especially in this human life. And so it talks about uh, honoring your parents. And it says so that it may go well with you. And so uh, the, the only commandment, that seems to have this promise attached to it. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of that in Galatians. This commandment with a promise. So on a day like today, you've got society, and frankly, our whole nation is likely thinking about where they've come from, thinking about their their own origin story, if you will. We're going to stop for a moment this morning, and we're going to think about these things. And there's a passage that I preached on before in a a different context, so I'm going to look at it again today, and I want to lift out a nugget for us as we think about uh, Mother's Day. And so it's a passage that, more than likely, in, in daily Bible reading that you would just kind of read through. You'd pass over, uh, skim through quickly. It's in Romans chapter 16. And so there's not a more important letter in the New Testament, I would argue, than Paul's letter that we know as Romans. This letter to the Christians that were living around the area of Rome. And so he was in Corinth when he wrote it, and wrote it to people who honestly he didn't know. And so Christians who were living in and around Rome. And so this letter is so mighty in its content a powerful letter it's actually shaped the course of western civilization in many levels and so when you read chapters 1 through 15 you can just feel the the just the weight of the the enormous weight of theology just the the, the knowledge of god that's laid upon us and then you come to the end of the letter chapter 16 and you see what it is and you say well this is They would just skim through it. What's this? Kind of tacked on to the end. And so it's just a list of people. Thirty-three names. People that Paul was connected to and knew that they were connected somehow to the church in Rome. And so Romans chapter 16 and beginning in verse 3 says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. And also... Greet the church in their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. And what amazing position that would be. Can you imagine to be the first person who responded to the preaching of Paul in this area here? Now, I don't know how many times Paul went out and preached after he was converted as he began his ministry for Jesus Christ. I don't know how many times he did that. But, but Paul would never forget that there was one There was one who responded. And he goes on and he says, Greet Mary. Greet Mary who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my compatriots and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. So I wonder, did they share a jail cell together, my fellow prisoners? Or did maybe Paul just perhaps knew that they had been imprisoned at some point for the same reason he had for sharing the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, Greet Ampliatus. My dear friend in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my, my good friend Stachius. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ, and greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. These are just names. They're just names he's mentioning here. We don't know really anything about these people. We don't know anything about them. But Paul did. Paul knew about them, and they were important to him for different reasons. And he goes on in verse 11. He says, Greet Herodian, my compatriot. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, laborers in the Lord. Can you hear it? The twin girls? Tryphena and Tryphosa worked alongside Paul. Greet my dear friend Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. And these are just names. They're just names. And you don't even know or probably don't even care about these people. Because what's this got to do with the Gospel, Right? What does this have anything to do with the Gospel of Jesus Christ? He says, greet Rufus in verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who was also a mother to me. Now we know something about Rufus. Yeah, we know that Rufus was the son of Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene. And that name should ring a bell. That should sound familiar to us who have been listening to and reading through church stories in the Bible for for years. Simon of Cyrene. So about 25 years or so ago, before Paul wrote this letter, when Jesus was being crucified, He was led up the way of the cross to Calvary, to Golgotha. Robert, change that slide for me. And in His weakened state, in His weakness, after being beaten nearly to death, under the weight of this this great cross beam that was laid across His shoulders to carry, Jesus fell. He fell, and so this some estimate 80-pound timber that was laid upon His shoulders. He fell a couple of times. And finally, Mark tells us in his writing, Mark chapter 15 and verse 21, he says, "...the soldiers forced a passerby to carry His cross. Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, parentheses, he was the father of Alexander and Rufus." So why would Mark care to include the details of Simon of Cyrene that he was the father of Alexander and of Rufus. Because nowhere in the book of Mark up to this point, nowhere for 14 chapters has he mentioned these men for us to know. And so what's this supposed to mean for us? Well, not much. It really doesn't. But for the Christians that Mark was writing to, Christians who Mark would have been familiar with because of his relationship and his travels with the apostles during their journeys, he knew these people very well. And he knew they would know who he was talking about. They would make the connection. And so no doubt the story of how Simon was pressed into service by these Roman soldiers, that would have been well known throughout the Christian community. And so when filmmakers, when they film this moment, and they film it as an exchange of glances, Robert advanced me, and so how Jesus would fall to his knees, or or he would fall to his chest under the weight of this timber... And so then Simon was directed to go and to help him pick it up. And you see in the movie's depiction, as Simon reaches down to, to help pick up this timber, they glance at each other. And so Simon sees the face of Jesus. Jesus sees the face of Simon. And something happens. In reality, you don't need the filmmakers to tell us that something happened when these two men came in proximity to each other. When Simon felt the weight, not just of the beam that he was helping to lift, but the weight of the sin that Christ was carrying to the cross. Something happened. And so tradition tells us that Simon became a believer. He became a believer. And so if you are a believer, if you've had a moment of a a spiritual awakening, if you have glanced into the face of Jesus Christ and you carry His cross the last few steps up that mountain, up that hillside to Calvary, to Golgotha, and you see where they put that cross, and you see how they nailed Him to that cross, the man whose eyes you just looked into, how could you run away from that? How could you run from that? I think Simon stayed around. I think he stayed and watched to see what was going to happen. And so it is believed that Simon believed in this Jesus and then he went home and he talked to his wife. And he talked to his sons, Rufus and Alexander, who would become Christians. And it's this Rufus who is now in Rome who Paul is writing to. He says, say hey to Rufus. Say hey to Rufus. Say hey to his mother. Simon's wife she's been a mother to me also. This great Apostle Paul, who's responsible for transmitting at least two-thirds of of what we have in the New Testament, that he would be able to single out one woman, one person, but one woman who is like a mother to me. And he uses his words very carefully. When you read through Paul's writings, he's he's an excellent wordsmith. So he calls people brother. He calls them sister. He calls them apostle. He calls them teacher. He calls them evangelists or preachers. And so he refers to, to people by specific terms. He calls them saints. Partners in the Gospel. He's got a lot of words to describe the people that he is familiar with. People who have orbited around his life. But there is only one. There is only one. The mother of Rufus. Whom he calls Mother. Greet Rufus and his mother, who was also a mother to me. One person who came alongside of Paul in such a way, such a meaningful, lasting way that he would call her mother. And so we don't know exactly what that meant to him, but we know what that means. We know what that means to call somebody mother. If you were to say about somebody in your life that, that she's been a mother to me, we know exactly what that means. It means this woman who's not your mom has actually come alongside of you, given you love, compassion, showed you mercy and and, and grace, listened to you, supported you, nourished you, given you room to grow, encouraged you. You say those words of a woman who's shown you patience and an open heart. And so, she's been a mother to me. We don't know this woman. We don't know this woman, but my imagination can relate. I can relate to that. Paul, this great apostle, having someone that he can look to and say, she's been a mother to me. And when you read Paul's writings, you don't seem to get any regret, which he was sure to feel. He doesn't dwell on regret. There are phrases here and there where he reflects on his life before Christ, but he doesn't seem to dwell on it. Because then there's this. In Philippians 3 and verse 13, Forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead with this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And before he became a Christian, this man Paul, he is what we would call today a terrorist. He's a terrorist. He would be on every no-fly list in the United States. He would be charged with multiple Civil rights violations. This man, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, he persecuted Christians. He threw them in jail. He oversaw their tortures and their deaths. But when you read his writings, his attitude in his writings, the way he dealt with people later after the fact, after his conversion, it's as if he had someone in his life who was able to show him Able to, to, to help guide him. Able to, for him to see the love and the mercy and the forgiveness that's extended to him by God through Christ. It's as if he had somebody there encouraging him. Perhaps that would have been the mother of Rufus. Perhaps. Paul, come here. Come here, honey. I know you had a lot of, lots of burdens for what you've done. I know that that, that weighs on you. I know you, you have lots of problems. You have lots of hurts. Lots of people that you've hurt, caused hurt. But let me tell you something, honey. My husband Simon was there when Jesus died. He saw the whole thing. He saw Him. And he told me that just before Jesus took that last breath, He looked at His executioners. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And Paul, if Christ could extend that forgiveness to those people who killed Him, honey, He will forgive you. I don't know if a conversation like that ever took place, but when I read His words, when I read the words of Paul, that woman's been like a mother to me. That's what I think of. Because I've been blessed to have had many mothers to me just as you have too, no doubt, at some point, for me, reinforcing the experience I already had with my mother, being there as a partner for her and and for others, providing an experience that they might never realize from their own biological mother, and you think about Paul and his writings, and he 's so methodical and delineating Christian behavior you know he's the he 's the black and white guy, right? you do this, you don 't do that, and all the things. That, you and I know about the Christian life, the morality of Christianity. We've learned from the writings of Paul. He's the guy who sternly warned the church at Corinth, that brother there, well not that brother, but he's, you know, that brother there who's at fault, who's flaunting his immorality, you gotta get him out of here. That's the apostle Paul, and yet he will go on to write the most beautiful and artworthy description of love that we know. So much that, that you wonder if He didn't learn it from someone. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 3, we read earlier, if I give away everything I own and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I receive no benefit. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envious. Love does not brag. It's not puffed up. It's not rude. It's not self-serving. It's not easily angered or resentful. It's not glad about injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And yes, Paul was inspired by the Spirit to write these words. But just perhaps the Spirit was working through the mother of Rufus, who has been like a mother to me, he said. It meant something to Paul. Because this unknown, this unnamed, faceless woman, she wasn't just a shadowy figure in his past. She'd become this significant figure in his life. She loved him as a mother would love a child. And ladies with or without children, there is someone in your life that you have been, that you are, or that you can be that for them too. Perhaps you've already been. And when you read a little deeper into the context here of, of, of Romans chapter 16, you understand that, that Paul is saying hello. Say hello to so and so. Say hello to this person. Paul's saying hello. But he's also saying goodbye. Because you see, from Corinth, Paul is going to go to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, he knows, he prays against it. But he knows that people are waiting for him there. People are waiting for him. And he's going to be captured. And he will be beaten. And he will finally make it to Rome, but he's going to go there in chains. He's going to go there in shackles. And it will be in Rome where he will lose his head in a Roman execution. So Paul says, hello. But he says, goodbye. And he says, thank you, Rufus. And thank you to his mother. She's been like a mother to me. And I'll never forget the time that she spent with me. I'll never forget the talks that we had and the faith that we shared. And I hope there is someone in your life. I hope there has been someone in your life who you could look to and you could say, that person, they're not my mom. They're not my dad. But they've been like a mom to me. They've been like a dad to me. They've come alongside me when I've needed it. And that person has been essential in my life. And perhaps if you were to write a letter, if you were to sit down and to write a letter and you were to say goodbye, goodbye to all the people who have impacted your life that way, there would be people living today even who would be in your letter. And what Christianity introduced is that family is much bigger then what can fit on one of those stick family window stickers? Family's bigger than that. Motherhood. Motherhood by the world's definition is determined by birth. But motherhood by faith is birth by determination. You've got to decide to be a mother in faith. And when God puts people in our life, relative blood or not, and they are determined to be a spiritual guide, a relational resource, an encouraging voice, maybe just someone who is interested in our life, then they are like a mom, like a dad. And if you choose to do that and be that person, then you are like a mom or like a dad. who can. You can be that to some amazing people who perhaps will go on to do some amazing things in the kingdom of God. And there are so many, as I think about my own letter that I would write, who have been like a mother to me, like a father to me, like a grandmother to me, like a grandfather to me. And as I think about growing up in the church, my memories are not of how we did things. My memories are not when we did things. My memories are who we did them with. That's my memories of church. And I'm so grateful that my parents brought me to a place where those memories could be created. Where they could be instilled. And those people of my youth are still influencing me today. And to some degree, they're influencing how I raise my children. They're impacting a whole other generation through me. And I've said it before, Tressa and I do not want our children's only connection to church to be us. Because as they grow old and move on, and as we grow old and move on, they need to know that the Lord adds us to the church. But we need to be added to a local congregation, a local family of like-minded believers. And that's the heart of what we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day. That's a capital D. That's the eternal day. That's eternity. All the more with each step we take closer to our eternal home. The church is not an organization. The church is an organism. It's living, it's breathing, it's a growing body supplied by the head, which is Christ. And each one of us, important to the health of that body. So today, today as we celebrate mothers, let's be especially thankful for these Christian mothers. Those who are mothers by birth. Those who are mothers by choice. Those who come alongside of us. Those who who encourage us to, 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 to have love and to give love those who show us compassion and they listen to us and they support us, they extend grace to us and allow us room to grow, they provide nourishment and nurture, they show us patience, an open heart, because that is the embodiment of Christian living. That is the example of Christ. That is Christian. How thankful we are Especially today, as we are focused on these ladies, these Christian examples, leaders in their work, leaders in their homes, leaders in their communities, and leaders in this congregation. We are so thankful for those that we can call mother, even if they are just like a mother. To me. What a blessing it is to be part of the family of God. And that's all made possible through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, who God as a loving Father, a loving Mother, looked down on this earth and saw the destruction, the pathway that we were headed towards unable to do anything about it ourselves. And just as a mother would, throw herself in front of her child to protect them. Our God threw Himself to this earth before us in the form of His Son to protect us. And as He lived this perfect life, not without temptation, but without sin, as He lived this perfect life, He was able to be the sacrifice for us. The one sacrifice for all times. So that by faith and through faith, as we come to faith in Christ, we can receive His gift of salvation. So as we assemble today, this morning, if we can pray for you in any way, encourage you in your walk with Christ, if there is sin on your heart in your life that you need to rid yourselves of, we want to support you As you confess that sin to God, as you repent of that sin, as you ask His forgiveness, we will lift you up and encourage you. And if you're ready this morning to become a child of God, to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of His Spirit, the promise of eternal life, we want to rejoice with you this morning. What greater Mother's Day gift could you give than to become a child of God? If we can help you in any way as we stand and sing, will you come this morning?